You are listening to the Royal Footy Podcast, Christmas Edition. This special episode is entitled, My Mama Didn't Raise No Dummies. I can dig it, blood. One, two, three, four! This is a dedicated podcast to the Utah Royals FC, Salt Lake City's brand new, super shiny professional women's soccer club. I'm your host, Sean Moran, a.k.a. the poor man's Brian Dunsett. You can find me on Twitter at MoranSeanMC. Our podcast is brought to you by Davina Essential Oils. You can find them at DavinaWellness.com. That's D-A-V-I-N-A Wellness.com. Davina Oils are tested and proven to be high quality and will make a great Christmas gift for all the nice peeps on your list. Subscribe today at DavinaWellness.com to receive secret deals and discounts. Seeing how it's Christmas, may I also quickly tell you about an organization that's making all the difference in the lives of girls and women? Please take just a moment out of your busy holiday schedule to see what the girls at girlshelpinggirlsperiod.org are doing in communities all across the United States. Please see if there's a way that you can help them in their effort to make that difference. It is 1973 for women's professional soccer in America. To help you better understand what I mean, let me paint a quick picture for you. In the late 60s and early 70s, men's professional soccer in North America was, to a large extent, a semi-professional league with many of the players holding day jobs to make ends meet. At the end of the 60s, the average attendance for the North American Soccer League was just under 3,000. By 1973, attendance was up to almost 6,000. There were nine teams in the North American Soccer League in 1973. Two years later, that number jumped to 20. From the outside looking in, it appeared that soccer had found a home in the U.S. But behind the marketing and the national coverage on network TV, the state of the league was fragile, and leading up to the recession of the early 80s, its outlook was dire. The timing of the league's overexpansion couldn't have been worse. Teams were renting out large stadiums at high cost for low attendance. Owners were bleeding out. They were paying player salaries with money that couldn't be covered by the league revenue. Team owners averaged over 70% of their budget on player salaries. Compare that to the National Football League during that same period. Owners like Jack Kent Cook of the Washington Redskins spent only on average of 40% of their team's budget on player salaries. In short... The NASL's 24 teams ran a collective deficit of $30 million. Evenly divided, that would equate to each team losing over a million dollars a year. All of this made it impossible for the league to rectify disputes with the players' union. And at the end of 1981, five teams folded. In the offseason of 82, the LA Aztecs and the Minnesota Kicks would suspend their operations and the NASL shrank overnight from 21 teams to 14. The league would continue through 1984, but in March of 85, the North American Soccer League suspended operations. That year, only two teams, the Minnesota Strikers and the Toronto Blizzard, were still interested in sticking it out. Now, at the risk of being unpopular, this reporter places the blame for all of this squarely on you, the viewers. Welcome back to 2017. This year, the average attendance for the NWSL was barely over 5,000. On the high end, it was 
Portland Thorns, with well over 17,000. Juxtapose that with the atmosphere in Kansas City. This year, Kansas City FC averaged under 2,000 per match. In their five seasons in the league, they averaged 2,900. Now, to be fair, it's important to note that Kansas City's primary venue, Swope Soccer Village, only allowed 3,500 butts to be sat in the seats, whereas the Thorns play at Providence Park, same venue where the Timbers play, and that stadium can accommodate up to 22,000. Additionally, Portland is a hardcore soccer community. Timbers Army, Portland's core supporters group, on their own, take up to 6,000 seats at every game. And lest we forget that big Cascadia rivalry that's been going on since the 70s, that rivalry has metamorphosed into a Northwest revelry with the advent of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Okay, so let's bring this all in. If all things were equal, if $1970 were somehow to translate perfectly into 2017 Bitcoin, and if the men's experience was to translate perfectly to the women's side, what can we say of the NWSL? Or, more succinctly, what can we hope for for the Utah Royals? We can say positively that the NWSL needs full alignment from its team owners to be successful. It should adopt the core philosophy of Major League Soccer, the MLS. NWSL team owners need to be carefully vetted. It is as much about the ownership's long-term vision as it is about the number of potential bums that can be crammed into seats. This is what MLS Commissioner Don Garber spoke of a few years back when he referred to the demise of the NASL. He said that the NASL's strategy wasn't one that had full alignment amongst their owners, and he said, quote, that is really the most important aspect of what any league needs in any sport in any country in order to be successful. The Utah Royals have a committed owner in Deloitte Hansen. His vision appears to be one of sustainability and longevity in both the Major League Soccer atmosphere and as well as in NWSL. The league needs owners like Hansen who will build for the future of the sport. The reality of Deloitte's vision is seen not only in the youth academy and training facilities he's building in Utah and in Arizona, but in his goal to make the RSL brand a regional item. In 2015, that regional branding took a leap forward when KUTV picked up the broadcasting rights to RSL matches. The KUTV deal took the brand from a strictly Salt Lake fan base to five times the number of eyeballs in the Intermountain West and Southwest viewing areas. In turn, this allowed RSL that opportunity to broaden its corporate sponsors. The NWSL took a similar step in 2017 when it sold an equity stake to A&E Networks, a U.S. media company that owns a group of television channels available via cable and satellite in the U.S. and abroad. A&E is owned by Disney, and it operates the Lifetime Cable Channel that broadcasts and streams matches for the NWSL, and will do so through the 2019 season. Well, your story is very compelling, so I'll just type it up on my invisible typewriter. (laughs) Let's wrap this whole thing up. What do the Utah Royals need from the community to make it? They need a fully committed and engaged fan base that can put up and show up at the riot each week. And by all appearances, that's what Salt Lake intends to do. In roughly its first week of season ticket sales, the Royals amassed over 1,000 orders. By the time of this podcast recording, that number is likely approaching 3,000. On its own, that would put the Royals in the middle of the pack for attendance. 
A couple of thousand more single ticket sales per match would put Utah in the top three in the league. So what's my bet? I have a feeling that the NWSL is here to stay and that the growth of the league will happen faster than it took the men to figure out. Of course, we'll soon enough find out. Successful year in North American Soccer League history. The league's record attendance of nearly 1,200,000 spectators for 151 games marked a 24% increase over last year. On an individual team basis, the expansion San Jose Earthquakes and Seattle Sounders both shattered the attendance mark set by Kansas City back in 1968. And Miami, where today's championship game is being played, drew more than 73,000 spectators for the season, an increase of 34% over last year. All of this reflected a league so competitive that 10 of the 15 North American Soccer League teams were in serious contention for six playoff berths with only three weeks remaining in the season. But Los Angeles and Miami wound up on top. And to tell you more about today's championship game, let's go to Frank Lieber at the Orange Bowl in Miami. 